wrestling fans, are you ready? Yes! 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 For the thousands in attendance and the millions watching around the world, uh, let's get ready to rumble! Stupid idiot. Shut your mouth, you thong-wearing fatty. Party's over, Grandpa. Kane was there! Kane was there too! Yeah! No enhancement needed. This ain't Monday Night Raw! This fight's right! It's Wrestle Rant Radio. What a week it's been in wrestling, and it's not even over yet. Welcome, guys, to WrestleRant Radio for Thursday, October 3rd, 2019. I am Graham Giusin Matthews. Hope you guys are doing as amazing as I am in this very moment. We are coming off night one in the Wednesday night war between AEW and NXT. And what a night it was. It was absolutely incredible. Um, I, for one, watched AEW Dynamite over NXT just for the purely for the historic factor. I would love to be able to say, and I can now, that I watched AEW Dynamite upon its debut when it launched on October 2nd, 2019. NXT was amazing as always, arguably even the better show, but I'll talk more about that as we go on here. And who won night one of the Wednesday Night War um, on today's big, 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 big episode of WrestleRant Radio, breaking down the Wednesday Night War, Monday Night Raw season premiere this past week. Um, some other things, and Hell in a Cell predictions, which I'll probably kick off with just because as of this recording right now, and I'm recording it on a Thursday. Now, usually I've recorded WrestleRant Radio on late Wednesday afternoon. Today, I'm not doing that just because, you know, I wanted to be able to talk about NXT versus AEW. And even as of right now, we only have three matches lined up for Sunday's pay-per-view, which is completely ridiculous. Now, I assume we have more matches that will be announced on Friday SmackDown, which I'll also get into in my preview and predictions for that show as well. But even then, I assume that, you know, I, I assume that the focus will be on the returning stars like The Rock and Stone Cold Steve Austin and the WWE Championship match and the ladder match and all the other matches they have lined up for that show, not the Hell in the Cell pay-per-view. But I'll get into that momentarily and some other news and notes along the way. Um, obviously this is being recorded before the ratings are released for AEW and NXT, but I will talk about who I think won in the ratings and who had the better show. Um, but again, I was one of those people too. And, you know, I've seen the criticisms. Oh, is it really a war? Um, it's only developmental versus this new promotion, blah, blah, blah. It's not the same way that it was 20 years ago when they were fighting for, you know, tens of millions of people, maybe not tens of millions, but a lot more than they are right now. Currently, they're probably fighting for the same million core viewers that would be watching NXT over AEW or vice versa. And, uh, of course, ratings-wise, it will never be the same as it was 20 years ago. It's just a different world. Wrestling's not the same. It'll never be that way. But in terms of being excited for two different promotions airing simultaneously, that's the same feeling a lot of people had. Now, I can't include myself among those people because I was not watching 20 years ago live. Um, Raw over Nitro or Nitro over Raw. I was like two or three years old, so I can't really include myself among that uh, among that group of people. But nonetheless, though, it very much is a war. Now, war might be a little too serious of a word, and I'm not saying, oh, fuck NXT, let's go AEW, or fuck AEW, let's go NXT. Yeah, maybe a war in that sense, it might be a war uh, with the people doing that type of shit, which I don't really agree with. I think everyone should support wrestling. We can all agree, or, you know, we can all have our opinions on which show is better, which show is stronger, which product, I guess, we support more. But as long as you support professional wrestling in any form of it, that's really all I, you know, you know th- that's really what I condone. Support pro wrestling. And then from there, you can pick and choose your favorites. I'm not saying you absolutely have to watch every episode of any given show, Like, I don't have time for MLW. I don't have time for New Japan Pro Wrestling. I don't have time for Women of Wrestling. I don't have time for a lot of different promotions. Um, But I do watch what I want to watch, and I have nothing against those shows. Um, It's not like they're bad. They're very good shows, from what I hear. I just don't have time for them. But I support all pro wrestling, because I would love to see pro wrestling succeed. And right now, feels like a very hot time for for, uh, professional wrestling. Considering SmackDown is now on Fox, NXT has moved to USA, 
And also AEW has arrived on TNT. And that's not even including Impact moving to Access TV. As of this month, they actually, I think, made the move to Access this past week, airing their homecoming pay-per-view on Tuesday night at that 8 p.m. time slot that Impact is going to um, occupy by the end of the month. But um, yeah, it's a very exciting time right now in professional wrestling. I say that all the time, but um, it's never any less true. And I think this week has been a prime example of that. And like I said earlier, the week is far from over. We have SmackDown on Friday on Fox, which should be a great show. Between the return of The Rock, the WWE Championship being defended between Brock Lesnar and Kofi Kingston, the ladder match with Kevin Owens and Shane, uh, Roman Reigns and Eric Rowan, ooh, and then the tag team match pitting Bailey and Sasha Banks against Becky Lynch and Charlotte Flair, among other things I'm sure are bound to happen. Um, but yeah, it's been a very exciting week already, and we're going to be breaking it all down here on WrestleRant Radio today between the season premiere of Raw on Monday, NXT versus AEW, an in-depth analysis of both shows, and a preview for SmackDown tomorrow night and for Hell in a Cell this Sunday. I might as well start off with that, but before we even get to my preview and predictions and picks for the pay-per-view on Sunday, for WrestleRant Radio folks, you can find the show on all the different podcast platforms, including iTunes. NextDayWrestling.net, first and foremost, always has been there, always will be there, but for easier, for an easier listening experience, you can check out the show on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, iHeartRadio, TuneIn Radio, Podbean, we're all over the place, baby, so subscribe today, rate the show, review the show, all your support of the show means a lot. As for me, you can check me out on the socials, um, on Twitter, at WrestleRant, on uh, Facebook as well, facebook.com backslash gram.gsm.matthews, and also on YouTube, youtube.com backslash c backslash gram.gsm.matthews. But um, yeah, we might as well get started real quick with my, with my Hell in the Cell predictions, just because as of right now, I really don't have a lot to go off of, and I like that just because it's been such a big week in wrestling already that I would like to kind of, um, you know, strongly focus way more on NXT and AEW. Raw was a good show too, which I will review momentarily, but really the big focus of this week is on um, NXT and AEW, the Wednesday Night War, as people are dubbing it, uh, from Wednesday night. But for Hell in the Cell on Sunday, we have three matches, less matches that we have lined up for SmackDown on Friday, we do for Hell in the Cell on Sunday. That is an incredible stat, a sad stat, but an incredible stat nonetheless. Uh, we have the main event, what I assume will be the main event, Seth Rollins versus Bray Wyatt, the Fiend, for the Universal Championship inside Hell in a Cell. This should be a great match. Um, I think any other outcome that does not see the Fiend become the Universal Champion is the wrong outcome. Bray Wyatt must walk out of this show the new Universal Champion. That's the only outcome that makes sense. It's the only thing that makes sense. I don't care who you throw in there to interfere in this match. It could be The Undertaker. It could be Kane. It could be fucking Aleister Black for all I care. It doesn't matter. If it's not Wyatt walking out with the championship, it doesn't matter. The guy's got to win the title. Now, I have seen some people say, oh, maybe they'll do some sort of fuck finish to prolong the feud, have Wyatt win it at the next pay-per-view. No. Strike while the iron is hot. None of this bullshit where, and I agree, you know, sometimes there is a time and place for that, where you do some sort of a non-finish or, um, you know, someone cheats to win or whatever to set up another match at the next show, but we don't have another show for another fucking month and a half. And I really don't want Bray Wyatt to win the championship in Saudi Arabia. Now, I know he was advertised for the show. He's on the poster for Crown Jewel on Halloween, ruining my favorite holiday of the year, but whatever. Um, that's not the place to do a title change. They did that last year when Brock Lesnar beat Braun when neither were champion. They were kind of forced to do a title change just because Roman Reigns got sick um, and they had to put the belt on somebody and they you know, obviously put it on Brock for whatever reason. But with um, the WWE or rather the Universal Championship this time around, they absolutely <clears throat> should not have the championship change hands there. It should be on this show. It only makes sense. They should not have Wyatt losing. At this point in his run, it just, it would be weird. It not only would be weird, but it would be damaging. And Wyatt knows that feeling all too well, dating back five, six years now, um, specifically to when he lost to John Cena at WrestleMania 30, you know, and he never really recovered from that. 
He lost to John Cena. He lost to Roman Reigns. He lost to The Undertaker. He lost to this guy. He lost to that guy. He lost to Randy Orton. He lost to Finn Balor. The guy could never fucking win whenever it mattered most. Ever. You could never win. He was the WWE champion for a cup of coffee. They have to redeem themselves with Bray Wyatt by having him become the champion on Sunday. Any wrongs they have, you know, made with this man for the past six years throughout his entire main roster run, I'm not sure if all of them can be rectified and forgiven, but they can come close by putting the championship on him on this show. The guy's the hottest act in all of wrestling, so unless there's some big return scheduled um, between now and Sunday that changes my mind as of right now, Wyatt absolutely needs to leave as the Universal Champion. For the Raw Women's Championship, also inside Satan's structure, Hell in the Cell, it's Becky Lynch, the current champion, versus the challenger, Sasha Banks. This should be a great match. Mick Foley, (laughs) interestingly enough, he pulled this same shit three years ago, and he wanted to do it again um, this week. So Mick Foley um, tweeted out saying that Sasha Banks and Becky Lynch should main event this show. And honestly, it's not a bad opinion. I'm not shitting on Mick. But when you have Rollins and Wyatt on the same show, and Wyatt is the hottest act in all of wrestling, you don't overlook him. You have him close out the show, especially if he's going to win the championship. Now, if he doesn't win for whatever reason, and he shouldn't, he, he should not, shouldn't not win, obviously. Um, but for whatever reason, they book Wyatt to lose. Obviously, that shouldn't close the show because that would be a very poor way of going off the pay-per-view, a very poor way of ending the night, uh, very underwhelming, but I don't assume they'll do that. Um, then you can have the women main event, but I don't assume that's going to be the case. Obviously, I think they will go with Rollins and Wyatt, <coughs> Rollins and Wyatt in the main event, and Foley now thinks that as well. After changing his opinion soon after, after getting so much feedback from people on Twitter, um, and he had said, "All right, listen, I saw the tweets, I saw your responses, I made the wrong call there. It should be <laughs> Rollins and Wyatt in the main event." And like I said earlier. He did the same thing three years ago, and that was while he was the GM of Raw. He was an on-air character at that point, and he was out there petitioning, hey, you know, I think Sasha and Charlotte should main event. And I think he took the post down, but then he, you know, um, he, he, he doubled down on that statement saying, hey, I think they should main event. And obviously they did for the first ever women's main event in WWE pay-per-view history, which was cool. The match was very underwhelming. Uh, They had a good match, far from great. Their other matches that year were superior to that one. Um, This one was... The the women's Hell in the Cell the first time around between Banks and uh, Charlotte three years ago when I was at that pay-per-view was much weaker than any other match they had that year and easily the weakest big match on that card. But they made history by closing up the show and it was cool. Um, I don't think you need to do that here. I'm not saying all the women have had their fair share of main events, no, no reason to put them in the main event again. Now, if you said that with Clash of Champions, and a lot of people did, I would have agreed with them, saying, yeah, you know, I think Sasha and Becky should close out the show, because I really don't care about Seth and Braun, but I do care way more about Seth and Wyatt than I did Seth and Braun, and I think they have to close out the show. Either way, though, and I've said this before, um, I'm not sure how likely it is they booked two big title changes in the same night inside Hell in the Cell, which they have not done in 10 years. The only other time they've had two championships change hands inside Hell in the Cell on the same night was the inaugural Hell in the Cell pay-per-view 10 years ago, almost exactly 10 years ago, actually, when Randy Orton beat John Cena inside the cell to become WWE champion, and then The Undertaker beat CM Punk to win the World Heavyweight Championship inside Hell in the Cell. I think that has to happen here, too, because Sasha, not that she lost to Clash of Champions, but... She failed to win the championship after Becky got herself DQ'd, essentially. Um, not even essentially, she did. So, they have to have a clean finish here. It's inside Hell in the Cell. No more, no more fuck finishes. I guess they could have Bailey and Charlotte interfere if they want. But, what's the point? I think Sasha's got to walk out the new Raw Women's Champion. And a lot of people are speculating, hey, maybe they have Sasha lose. She goes to SmackDown in the draft and, you know, with the blue hair and all. And she wins the SmackDown Women's Championship. But as of right now, that would make zero sense. Because the current champion is Bailey, And Bailey's her friend, they're both heels. That's how we got in this mess in the first place. Instead of Bailey and Banks feuding, they're now aligned again. Um, so it would be... It, that just doesn't make any sense. I would keep them either on separate shows, uh, which would probably be best, to be honest with you. Have the short-lived um, Boston Hug Connection reunion. But the, get them on the fucking separate shows. 
They've been on the same show now since Bailey debuted on the main roster three years ago. Then Bailey finally went to SmackDown in the Superstar Shakeup, but it didn't matter because we had the wild card rule. Oh, the wild card rule. So they interacted anyway, even though they were on separate brands. Um, that being said, keep Sasha on Raw as the Raw Women's Champion. Keep Bailey on SmackDown for the for, for, for the uh, foreseeable future as the SmackDown Women's Champion. But uh, yeah, I think Banks walks out the new Raw Women's Champion Sunday. And finally, um, the tag team match, Roman Reigns and Daniel Bryan versus Eric Rowan and Luke Harper. Again, I assume more matches will be added before um, the end of the weekend, I'm sure by SmackDown on Friday, but it's Thursday morning as I record this, and there are no additional matches announced for the pay-per-view, which is kind of scary. I assume it's going to be a case where they go out on the show on Sunday, and they just make matches as the show happens, a lot like what we saw with Raw this week. Like, I assume we might get a rematch between Ricochet and Cesaro for no real reason other than just to fill time on the show. Um, I don't want to see that happen, so hopefully they can set in stone more matches as of Friday. Like, I assume Charlotte may pin Bailey in that tag team match to set up a rematch between those two from the last pay-per-view on Sunday. That would make sense. But anyway, as far as Brian and Roman versus Harper and Rowan is concerned, um, I assume Harper and Rowan win it. I think the most logical outcome would be to have Roman and Brian avenge their recent losses to Eric Rowan and have them you know, bounce back and have them win on Sunday. But I think it makes even more sense to have Daniel Bryan go heel on Roman Reigns. I think it's too soon to have Daniel Bryan go back to being the resident yes-man of the WWE. I think it's way too soon for that. Um, You know, I think there's a decent chance they emerge victorious, tease no issues, they win clean, and that's it. I mean, Eric Rowan has won a lot lately. Um, I don't think he wins on Friday. I don't think he beats Roman clean. Not He didn't beat him clean the first time anyway, but I don't think he pins Roman for a second straight time on Friday. I'll get more into that, you know, uh, momentarily. But um, I don't, you know, I, I, I think that uh, the fact that he's beaten Roman once already, he's beaten Daniel Bryan once already as well, they're really pushing Eric Rowan. So they could have him, you know, win here, and I assume they will just to kind of resume his push. I don't know where it's going. I don't know if they'll put him in the championship picture after this. Um, I absolutely hope not. But I care a little less about, you know, Rowan and Harper winning than I do about Daniel Bryan turning on Roman Reigns for the sole reason of it would set up a feud between those two going into the final few months of 2019. That's really what I care about. Um, Again, with Rowan winning a lot, they want you to think, okay, he's winning a lot, which means he's due for a loss. And that's what will that's what will lead to um, Roman and Brian working together as a unit and overcoming the odds by beating the former Bludgeon Brothers. Yeah, I guess it's a fine story. I mean, again, I don't really care about the momentum of Rowan getting halted or whatever. I mean, Harper maybe a little bit, but he's very clearly the background player in the story. Um, he's really more of a a henchman for the henchman that is Rowan, and then Harper is kind of the background player. But he's still winning too. I mean, he, if he wins on Sunday, that's a big win for him as well. Um, I don't think, as I said originally about a month ago, that Daniel Bryan will be revealed as the person who is behind everything, that he's working with um, Harper and Rowan, just because we're way, way too far down this route now with you know Harper and Rowan consistently beating up Bryan every single week on SmackDown. Like, every fucking week, they have Bryan get his ass kicked by Luke Harper and Eric Rowan. And I guess they could be working together, and it could be one master mega, you know, one major master, uh, you know, mega plan, whatever. I don't know what the exact word is. Um, it could be one giant ruse. But again, did they all? Did they orchestrate all of this and say, "Hey, Rowan Harper, beat the shit out of me," so it makes Roman believe that you know I'm a good guy now, and that we're split up, even though we're actually. We've been aligned together. We've been aligned this entire time. I don't think that's what's going to happen. At this point, it would make no sense, which is exactly why WWE would do it. And don't get me wrong, I'm not complaining about a potential Daniel Bryan, Luke Harper, Eric Rowan faction like the Wyatt Family 2.0, Sansbury Wyatt. Um, but, be, you know, based off the buildup and based off what we've seen so far from this story, it just wouldn't make any sense. Um, but I still do think you can have Brian go heel on Roman without actually aligning with the Bludgeon Brothers. Um, and Brian can go off and do his own thing as a heel again and then feud with Roman 
on SmackDown in the final few months of 2019. That's the feud that I really want to see. Uh, I'm not really sure what else you do with Roman going forward. Now, again, things can change dramatically before the end of 2019, as of next week, with the draft coming up very quickly. And I'll give my uh, you know updated rosters what I would like to see Raw and SmackDown looking like coming out of the WWE draft next week and the following Monday. I'll talk about that soon enough. Um... But in the meantime, though, I do think Brian and uh, Rowan, or rather Roman Reigns, should remain put on SmackDown. I think they're better put on SmackDown, and they should be feuding with each other. Roman Reigns, even including the current Raw guys, there's not many people I really want to see him feud with right now. Um, aside from maybe him and AJ Styles rekindling their rivalry from three years ago, this time with AJ as the heel, which would be cool, um, there's not many other exciting opponents for Roman Reigns right now which is why I would book Brian and Roman at the close of 2019 by having Brian first turn on Roman to cost him the match on Sunday. But those are my predictions for Hell in the Cell. I went a lot longer with those than I thought I would. For three matches, that's a pretty uh, pretty loaded prediction panel, I guess. Um, a, lot, a lot of time spent on Hell in the Cell predictions for a show that only currently has three matches. But I'm looking forward to that show as much as I am. Maybe not as much, but I am still excited for the pay-per-view on Sunday. Um, not nearly as much as I am for SmackDown on Friday. Real quickly, the lineup for the show, they have a bunch of legends announced for the episode already. Between Stone Cold Steve Austin, Hulk Hogan, Trish Stratus, Kurt Angle, Mark Henry, Goldberg, among others. I don't think The Undertaker is going to be there. I saw him on the advertising, but based off the list that I saw, I don't think Taker will be there, which is weird. Uh, maybe because he was just recently on SmackDown and MSG, and they don't want to go back to that well so soon. They don't need The Undertaker, but I'm saying that, you know, he's been such a big part of that brand for so long. I think it's weird he hasn't been invited. Um, Batista, I mean, I would love to see Batista on SmackDown, um, but there's really no role for him anyway. Um, he's been as big a part of a SmackDown as anybody. I'm glad he was there at SmackDown 1000 a year ago for the Evolution reunion, um, but other than that, there was no real reason to have him on this show. Um, I mean, like Edge, same thing. It'd be cool to see Edge, but he's the same type of person like Batista where he's not going to come back for a cheap pop. He's going to come back if needed. If they host a cutting edge with Edge and... I'm not sure who else would be on the show, but, you know, someone along those lines, like they did with Becky and Charlotte and Edge a year ago... Then that would be cool, um, but I don't think they're going down that route at all. I don't think that's where they're going with this. Um, I think it's you know they're they're not that's not what they're doing with this show. They just have a bunch of legends advertised. I assume most of them will be making appearances backstage on the show and not coming out for like one segment or whatever. But The Rock, I assume The Rock will have the biggest role on SmackDown on Friday. Um, he was announced for the episode as of Monday on his own social media. And it had been rumored for a while that The Rock could be in attendance for the, you know, the big SmackDown Fox premiere. It's a grand occasion. They're celebrating 20 years of SmackDown. Um, it would make sense. He coined the term after all 20 years ago. And uh, we also have not seen him on SmackDown in over six years, I believe since 2013. And I don't count that one off uh, when he had like that backstage segment with Triple H about five years ago. That doesn't really count. It was pre-taped on Raw. So um, I'm counting in-ring appearance on the show, and uh, I didn't really want to see them do what they did 10 years ago when they have Rock, you know, phone it in literally with a uh, with a quick cameo from via satellite, whatever. No, I wanted to see him show up, and he is, which I think is great. I agree as much, I agree with anyone, uh, with as much as the next guy, that they need to focus less on the returning stars and way more on the current roster. I totally agree with that. At the same time, though, I don't think you can have a proper SmackDown celebration without the great one. So I'm glad he's going to be there his first WWE appearance, I believe since WrestleMania 32. That was over three and a half years ago when he beat Eric Rowan in that glorious six-second squash. Um, yeah, that was the last time we saw Rock on WWE TV. So it's going to be cool to see The Rock. I'm sure the crowd will be super hot for him. Um, I don't know what he's going to be doing. He did say in an interview... Um, on the Kelly and Ryan show, whatever it's called, about two months ago, that he has since quietly retired from the ring. So I don't think another match is in the works. I think he's I think he's done, unfortunately. Um, as much as I would love to see another match with The Rock, considering his last match on the record is with Eric fucking Rowan, of all people. Um, like a match with Roman Reigns would be cool. I know him and Triple H was teased at one point years ago, and it never happened. Um, 
Nevertheless, though, I assume, you know, maybe, maybe there's a chance. I just assume this appearance is solely to hype up the live crowd, get them going, and that's it. He might rock bottom someone like a Sami Zayn, like Taker did a few weeks ago at MSJ, but beyond that, it really won't be anything too newsworthy. It's just going to be entertaining to see The Rock, as the guy always delivers. He never ceases to electrify the audience, so it should be a great appearance nonetheless. Uh, from an in-ring standpoint, we do have four matches currently advertised for the show. Like I said earlier, more matches announced for SmackDown than there is the four-hour pay-per-view on Sunday. <laughs> there is something seriously wrong with that, but anyway. Um, they have the ladder match between Kevin Owens and Shane McMahon, where if Kevin Owens wins, he will get his job back and will be able to fire Shane from his position of authority on SmackDown. If Shane wins, Kevin Owens remains fired. That's it. So nothing changes. Obviously, Kevin Owens will win. Um, he will rid us of Shane McMahon once and for all, as he should, for right now anyway. I assume there's a very good chance Shane comes back the very next week. A lot like Kevin Owens came back the very next week after he got fired a few weeks ago. He has not taken a single week off from NXT, or rather from SmackDown. Um, he should have showed up at NXT. He didn't, unfortunately. But anyway, with um, Shane McMahon, they absolutely need to take him off TV for the foreseeable future. There's no reason to have him around still. He should have been taken off TV months ago, let alone now. So I assume that's the direction they're going with this, and Kevin Owens will win. In the four horsewomen tag team match, Sasha Banks and Bailey versus Charlotte Flair and Becky Lynch. Um, it should be a great match at that first encounter in MSG on Raw a few weeks ago, which I was in attendance for. Was any indication of what they're capable of together? And we've known that for a while. I mean, they're four away at uh, TakeOver Rival, I think it was, in February of 2015. was a fucking banger. That match was awesome. I mean, granted, this was a tag team match, but still, it was great. Um, so this should be a good match. I would have Sasha Banks and Bailey win this time. Uh, Becky and Charlotte won the last one. I guess they could have it end in a DQ or something, but... And I also think it's likely they could have Charlotte pin Bailey again, a lot like she did in the last match at MSG, to set up another match between Charlotte and Bailey for Sunday, but we had seen that last time. It would be too repetitive. They got to keep Bailey looking strong, and they can't just keep, keep having her get pinned by Charlotte in non-title matches. So honestly, I want Banks and Bailey to win. They should be looking like threats going into that pay-per-view. Now, I know Bailey doesn't have a championship match on Sunday, and she very well may. Um, maybe they do something else to set up that match. I don't know. But I do think Banks and Bailey should win this one after losing the last match um, a few weeks ago. And also considering they also own a victory over the current WWE Women's Tag Team Champions, Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross. Don't let that be forgotten about either in all of this. Don't let that get lost in the shuffle. So I assume that they'll get their championship shot at some point down the road. Um, I'm not sure when that would be, but um, if they're going to get that championship match at some point, they should win here. It just kind of goes without saying. Um, Roman Reigns versus Eric Rowan. This is the match I see having a fuck finish. I don't see Rowan beating Rowan for the second straight time clean or by pinfall, whatever, or by submission, God forbid. Um, I do think it will end in a DQ. I don't think they want to have Rowan get beat just yet. They just, you know, he, he just beat Daniel Bryan. He beat Roman Reigns. There's no reason, as much as I don't really care for Eric Rowan, there's no real reason right now to have the guy get pinned by Roman Reigns. So... Have Eric Rowan lose by DQ after Luke Harper interferes. Have the two teams brawl, and that leads us into Sunday. Um, then the WWE Championship match between Brock Lesnar and the current champion Kofi Kingston. Brock wins. Now, I know there could be a scenario where someone interferes, costs Brock the match, ends in a DQ. Rey Mysterio would be as likely as anyone um, after what we saw go down on Monday's Raw. But at the same time, though, um, I think Brock winning the championship would be the best call just because they want to debut on Fox with a bang and they really want to ring in this new era of the blue brand the best way possible. And I think the best way to do that would be with a title change. Now, we can argue all day, is Brock Lesnar the right person to take that championship from Kofi? It's debatable. Probably not just because Brock's not a full-timer. Um, I mean, no one's going to really like benefit, benefit from beating Kofi Kingston of all people, but he has been booked very well. For the better part of 2019, Kofi's not been beating a hell of a whole lot in 2019. Um, Brock beating him is a foregone conclusion. Kofi beating Brock is not going to happen. Someone's either going to interfere and cause the DQ or Brock becomes champion. I think it's more likely Brock walks out the new champion and he holds that championship for a while. I know he's advertised for a bunch of dates on SmackDown through the end of the year. I think that's awesome. 
Um, I assume he'll appear at Survivor Series. I'm not sure about the Crown Jewel pay-per-view. I think he has done, I'm pretty sure, all the Saudi Arabia shows up to this point. I think, right? He won the championship from Braun last year at Crown Jewel number one. He lost, or was he even at Saudi Arabia this year? I don't think he was. Maybe he was, and I don't think he cashed in the contract. Maybe that was what happened. Um, I think he, uh, yeah, he was on the show. He was on the um, Super Showdown show in Saudi Arabia earlier this year. Didn't wrestle, but he was on that show. And then he beat Roman Reigns at the uh, last, the first ever Saudi Arabia show in April of last year inside the Steel Cage match. So, um, yeah, I assume he will appear on the show. They want all the star power they can get. So, I assume he will become champion. Maybe they do a rematch with him and Kofi at that show. He wins again, and he holds the championship for the foreseeable future. Um, So, looking forward to SmackDown, but Raw real quick before we get to AEW Dynamite's debut in the NXT two-hour premiere on uh, USA Network now. They called it the premiere for NXT, and I guess it kind of was. I mean, because they had one hour on USA two weeks ago, and then the second hour on... Um, WWE Network because of the series finale of Suits airing two weeks in a row. Um, So this was the first full-length show of NXT on the USA Network. So in a way, it was a premiere. But we'll get to that in a moment. Raw real quick from Monday Night, the season premiere, I should say, of Monday Night Raw. Gotta correct myself. Because WWE, it's not like they told us a million times on Raw this week, you know? Um, I will say before I get into anything else, um, I love the fresh feel of the show. I love the theme song, Legendary by Skillet. Fun fact, we actually, Alexis and I, saw that song in concert by Skillet, and I've been a fan of theirs for 10 years now. Because WWE used Skillet for Hell in a Cell pay-per-view, their first ever Hell in a Cell pay-per-view, 10 years ago. And that was when I first got introduced to Skillet um, for that song Monster for that 09 Hell in a Cell show 10 years ago. Loved the song, thought it was great. They used Hero by them for um, Royal Rumble 2010. They used Feel Invincible for Battleground 2016. They used a few of their songs for the video games, um, the video game commercials. So again, it's not completely, um, you know, Skillet is not foreign to WWE at all. They've been used by WWE a number of times. But we saw them in concert for the first time a couple weeks ago in mid-September, I think the same day as the pay-per-view, as Clash of Champions, I think. And um, after watching them for 10, or, you know, being a fan of theirs for 10 years, I finally got to see them in concert on that Sunday, it was the same day as the pay-per-view, and I told Alexis, after hearing that song, Legendary, live and in living color, I told her, listen, that song, I guarantee you, will be a pay-per-view theme song within six months, and I guess I was, you know, wrong, technically, but I, essentially what I was saying, to kind of backtrack and save myself here, um, I figured the song would be used by the company in some form or fashion within six months, it only took six days for the song to be announced as the new Raw theme song upon the season premiere, which I think is awesome. I think it's a great song. They have a new intro, which will obviously be updated um, after the draft in a couple weeks or, you know, in a, in a week and a half for Raw, whatever. So, um, yeah, I, I'm digging the new intro, the new commentary team of Vic Joseph, Dio Madden, and Jerry Lawler. I talked all about that on this exclusive audio clip that I did on um, well, I mean, it went up on Friday. I recorded it Thursday a week ago because the news broke after I'd already recorded WrestleRant Radio and put it up on Thursday. So I had to do an additional audio clip and put that up on the channel on Friday. Um, and I said then I'm not a big fan of Jerry Lawler being on commentary. And after hearing him on Raw this week, I still, you know, I stick by that. I'm not a big fan of Jerry Lawler doing primetime commentary for the flagship show. I mean, I know SmackDown's going to be their baby going forward, but Raw will always be their tried and true. Um, will always be their bread and butter. It's always going to be their favorite because it's been around the longest, you know? I don't think that'll ever change. But anyway, putting Jerry Lawler, regardless of what show it is, back on commentary when he's almost 70 years old is a terrible decision. The guy sucks, and he was unbearable to listen to during Raw this week. I thought Vic Joseph was great. I thought Dio Madden, from what we heard of him, was very good. He's very charismatic, which was cool to hear. Um, Jerry Lawler, not my cup of tea in 2019. So hopefully he's removed soon enough because he's not that good at all. Um, But anyway, though, the updated graphics, the pyro being back, it was great. They kicked off the show the best way they possibly could by sending the message, hey, this really is a new era. The new stage, I think, is great. Um... I don't know if it's universally loved. There's a few other people, you know, a few people that were saying, oh, it looks like a skateboard rink. Um, it looks dumb, whatever. Hey, 
Change is change. Change isn't always great. I think in this case, it is. Um, it's a nice, refreshing change of pace from what they were doing previously. I like it a lot. Any change is good change for this show. I will say that. For the most part, I mean, be careful what you wish for, of course. But for the most part, I think the changes that they made with this show were positive ones. And they kicked off the show on a very hot note with the Brock Lesnar attack. They had Brock Lesnar lay the shit, just beat the holy shit out of Rey Mysterio and his son Dominic in what was an amazing angle. It made Brock Lesnar look like a, a complete asshole. They, you know, generated sympathy for Rey Mysterio. They generated real sympathy for Dominic. I thought this was great. Now, this could go one of two ways, or three ways, really. One, this goes nowhere, and the only real purpose this served was getting additional heat on Brock before he goes for the championship on Friday, which could have very well been the case. Um, I think there's more to this, though, because Rey Mysterio seems like a weird target for Brock Lesnar to go after. I mean, again, if you want to generate sympathy for a babyface, no one better than Rey Mysterio and Dominic because, you know, seeing Dominic get his ass kicked was cool, but from a character standpoint, you can't help but feel for the guy because he's 22 years old and Brock Lesnar just basically murdered him on live TV. Uh, we witnessed a murder on Monday night at the beginning of that show, but I thought it was a great angle. So they could have very well just done that to hype up the Brock Lesnar championship match on SmackDown this week, or there's something more to this. Maybe they're building to a Brock Lesnar-Rey Mysterio match if they end up on the same brand. And um, I'm thinking they are. I think Rey Mysterio is a better fit on SmackDown. His Raw run's been fine. Um, he won the U.S. Championship a couple months ago. He got hurt. He bounced back about a month ago, coming back from his hiatus. You know, he's beaten Grimmett's Alik. He beat Cesaro. He's, you know, on a bit of a winning streak. He won that Fatal 5-way last week. Never got the Universal Championship match he was promised. So hopefully he does get that at some point, maybe even as early as next week on Raw. Um, but if Brock and Ray end up on the same show, and I think they will on SmackDown, they should build to a Brock-Ray Mysterio match, even if it's a one-off for either, you know, maybe not Hell in the Cell, that's a little soon. But what about the Saudi Arabia show? I don't think Brock Lesnar is going to be on Team Hogan or Team Flair. So booking Lesnar to be on that show, Lesnar and Ray Mysterio for the WWE Championship, and hey, it would make sense. Because if Ray Ray, let's say he goes to SmackDown, he doesn't get his title shot on Monday's Raw, okay, before the draft. He's owed, a, he's owed a title shot. Brock becomes champion. He's owed a championship match, so give him a shot at the WWE Championship. Makes sense to me at the Saudi Arabia show. Obviously, Brock would win, um, but I think it'd be a cool match, a cool dynamic with Rey Mysterio facing Brock in 2019. You know, it's a match we haven't seen in 20 years. But it's a match I think could still be very entertaining even in 2019. So um, that's what I would like to see. I thought that was a, you know, a great angle to kick off the show. I've seen some people even say this could be paving the way for Akeem Velasquez debut in WWE. Now again, I think I'm fucking up the last name there. I usually do, and I apologize. But I do think Kane, as I said on hashtag AskGSM this past week, is WWE bound before long. I am absolutely sure of it. I know I've read the reports, as you have, saying that WWE and Kane are in serious talks to bring him in for a deal. Uh, from what I've heard, he's taken to the wrestling thing very quickly, which is great to hear. But um, yeah, they're going to want someone as, as legit as Kane in their, in their company, um, the same way that they brought back Brock. And granted, he had a wrestling background, and he was very, you know, already established with the WWE fans. But Ronda Rousey, same thing. You know, obviously Ronda Rousey was a bigger name because she had a bigger impact, I would say, in the UFC than, than Kane did. Um, but Kane's still a huge name. He has history with Brock Lesnar. And I've seen some people speculate, hey, he's coming to the aid of the, you know, Hispanics in WWE by avenging the beatdown from Rey Mysterio and his son by taking out Brock Lesnar. That could have very well been the case. I don't know if they did that angle with that in mind. If they don't have a done deal yet, why would you do that if it's, you know, not going to happen? Um, I do think it's more likely we see Brock and Ray Ray at some point, or at least I hope we do. Um, but a Kane and Brock match in WWE, as I've said elsewhere, I would actually love to see it. Um, I don't know how good the matches would be, but I think it'd be interesting, and I think it could do big box office for this company, considering the history between Brock and Kane from 10 years ago. I think Kane beat Brock, and then Brock never avenged that loss, the same way that he did with, uh, you know, Frank Mir years ago. I think Frank Mir beat him, and then Brock went back and beat him to avenge the loss, to get that win back. Like, it's 50-50 booking in, in the mixed martial arts world. Um, I think we had that one and done between Kane and Brock, and then that was it. I think Alistair Overeem, that was who I was thinking of on Wednesday. I think 
Brock faced him a year later after losing to Kane because he got sick after the Kane match or the Kane fight, I believe. Then he lost that too in like a minute and a half, and then he went to WWE uh, like soon after, within like three or four months. So that being said, um, that's something I would love to see. I just don't know that they did what they did on Monday with that in mind. Um, also, real quick from Raw, I'm running out of time here, so I really don't want to spend too much time on this show. I thought it was a good show. Far from great, though. I agree with the masses. Um, NXT and Dynamite were infinitely better, and it's not even close. Sasha Banks beat Alexa Bliss in one-on-one action. Becky Lynch came out to fend off Banks from the ring to uh, hype up their hell in a cell match for Sunday. Robert Roode and Dolph Ziggler knocking off Heavy Machinery to retain the Raw Tag Team titles. Good match. Um, Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair appeared on Miz TV. Now, this was hilarious for all the wrong reasons. Because based off how they were talking crap with each other, they were talking smack back and forth, you would think, based off the crowd reaction too, that they were setting up for one more match between Hogan and Ric Flair. And I said to Alexis while we were watching the show, holy shit, their next pay-per-view after Hell in the Cell is the Saudi Arabia show. And that absolutely sounds like something the Prince of Saudi Arabia would want. Ric Flair versus Hulk Hogan in 2019. God, no. No thank you, and I know I'm not the only one who feels that way. I am far from the only one who feels that a uh, Hulk Hogan-Ric Flair match is not needed in WWE or anywhere in 2019. It wasn't needed eight years ago in TNA, let alone in WWE almost a decade later. Thankfully, that's not where they went with this. Instead, they're doing a five-on-five, I guess, Survivor Survivor Series-esque match at the Crown Jewel pay-per-view on Halloween. Um, it's going to be Team Hogan versus Team Flair. Hogan and Flair will thankfully not be wrestling the same way they didn't when we had uh, at that lethal lockdown pay-per-view. Uh, the lockdown show in 2010, Team Hogan and Team Flair. And uh, Impact made a note about that on Twitter during the show on Monday, which was funny. And they're absolutely well within the right to do that because we had already seen this match almost 10 years ago. And it was, um, wasn't amazing then. It probably won't be great now. But uh, why you would do a match like this Weeks before Survivor Series, I have no fucking clue. I said weeks ago, just scrap the Raw and SmackDown bullshit um, for the Survivor Series pay-per-view. I said that in an article for Daily DDT about a week ago. Just because it's not needed, no one cares, they're bringing back the brand split in a week or so. Why would you diminish that by having the brands already go back and forth? No one gives a fuck. We've already seen Raw face SmackDown stars for the past, what, six months now as part of the wildcard rule. Why would it be any more special on a pay-per-view at Survivor Series? If they didn't do the wild card rule, I may be like, okay, it's fine. But even a year ago, it was dumb. Because Raw won all the matches. And it didn't do SmackDown any favors. It never was followed up on at all. People were thinking, oh, you know, they had SmackDown get squashed because this is leading leading somewhere. And it didn't. It was just a waste of time. So, uh, yeah, hopefully they scrap that shit. They could scrap the show altogether, and I don't think I would care. If they're doing this stuff three weeks before Survivor Series, why the fuck should I care about that show? Um, but already announced for the match is Seth Rollins is the leader for Team Hogan. Um, it's going to be Rollins and Rusev. Weird pairing, I know. Um, and three other people versus Randy Orton, King Corbin, and three other people as well. So Orton is the team captain for Flair's team. Uh, Rusev came to the aid of Rollins when Rollins was being attacked by Orton and Corbin, which set up the night's main event. Because Rey Mysterio got attacked, Rollins needed a new opponent. Rusev stepped up to the plate. Not a very exciting main event. I'm not really sure why they did that, aside to just give us the angle that they did, which sucked, by the way. Um, But we did have the Viking Raiders versus the OC. Another good match from these two teams, the Viking Raiders once again going over, which I like. No 50-50 booking, as it should be. Ricochet beating Cesaro. Didn't really serve a purpose, but it was a good match. Ricochet winning with uh, Rey Mysterio's finisher, not the 619, but the Hurricane Ron, I forgot what, I don't know what the exact word of, uh, the exact name of that movie is that he beat Cesaro with, but it, was, it came off awesome, though. Uh, Rey Mysterio's been beating people with that for like 20 years now, and it still looks as cool now as it did two decades ago. Um, but good match there. AJ Styles beat Cedric Alexander to retain the United States Championship. Very good match. Easily the best match in the entire show. Um, I was really pulling for a Cedric win here. Unfortunately, they didn't do it. Um, Alexander did look great in defeat, though, which was great. Um, maybe they're shipping him off to SmackDown. At least I hope so. Alexander Nakamura could be really fun over the Intercontinental Championships. That'd be cool if they went in that direction 
But um, yeah, really good match here. AJ stole the champion. Lacey Evans beating Natalia. Um, they've been feuding for weeks now in a feud that no one gives two fucking shits about. Um, Evans beat Natalia, so hopefully it, that's it. They can move on from this shit finally. <clears throat> I assume that they won't, just based off how Lacey Evans attacked her afterward with a woman's right, so I assume the feud's not over yet, unfortunately. And then the main event, Seth Rollins facing Rusev for the Universal Championship. Um, the match was whatever. We had Bobby Lashley make his return during the main event to interrupt the match. The match never got a proper conclusion, by the way. And while Lashley came out on the stage, he was posing for what felt like five minutes. Rollins was nowhere to be seen. He's sitting at ringside for whatever reason. He fell asleep, I guess. He's an insomniac. So, or no, that's that's the other way around. Insomniacs can't sleep. I'm an idiot. But anyway, Bobby Lashley comes out, accompanied by Lana. And they proceed to make it out on the stage. I don't need to recap it. You guys have seen the clip. You've seen the show. You've seen the ending of the Raw. It was terrible. It was a dumbass angle. If this is a Paul Heyman storyline, and I get the gist that it is, I get the feeling that it is, um, that's not good. Uh, just because we've seen the cucking storylines before on Raw as early, you know, as recently as the Mike and Maria bullshit, so that's why I say I'm almost positive that this is a um, this is a Paul Heyman call and not a Vince call, just because they started doing this shit as soon as Paul Heyman was brought on board to be the new writer of Raw, the new executive director, whatever the fuck that means. Um, Paul Heyman, God bless the guy. The show has been better recently. But if this is what he has in mind for the future of Raw, I have no interest. Zero interest. Um, This is absolute garbage. So I don't know where they're going with this. I don't give a shit. I have no idea why Rusev just stood there like a dumbass, not doing anything about his wife making out with some other guy at the top of the stage. I guess it's that invisible force field that surrounds the ring where people can't leave the ring even though they want to go after someone that's outside the ring. Maybe it's one of those type of deals. I don't know. Um, But this was such a lousy ending to what I considered to be a solid show. But the ending sucked, though. But let's get to what you guys came to hear about my review of the debut of AEW Dynamite on TNT on Wednesday night. Such a great show. I thought this was a strong debut for AEW on TNT. Um, Not an amazing show. Not an amazing show, but overall a very well-rounded show with a lot of good matches. Cody took on Sammy Guevara in the first ever match in AEW Dynamite history. Good match. Um, I thought Guevara was the real star here. As I was texting with RJ during this match, um, you know, I think it's pretty obvious by this point, and this has been the case for a while now, Cody is not a great wrestler, I would say. He's a great showman, a lot like The Miz. Not a great technical wrestler, but he can go in there and tell a great story. I think WWE at the time that he was there kind of focused a little too much on the storytelling and not enough on the in-ring action. Um, and Ring of Honor focused way too much on the in-ring action and not enough on the story, which is why he kind of stuck out like a sore thumb in both promotions in the ring. In AEW, though, he's been having some of the best matches of his entire career. And again, that may not be saying much, um, but he's had great matches so far with Dustin, Darby Allen. Sean Spears, even the tag team match at Fight for the Fallen with him and Dustin versus the Young Bucks. All great matches. Um, And this was no different. Another very good match from Cody. He wins. Chris Jericho attacks afterward uh, to hype up the full gear AEW World Championship match for next month. In our next match, MJF beat Brandon Cutler. The match was fine. Essentially an extended squash for MJF, uh, which was fine. It kind of looked like they botched the ending there. And that Cutler may have been legit hurt after falling off the top rope, so hopefully he's not out for long if he's out at all. Um, MJF did win, though. And really, I know they probably cut this thing short because he was hurt, but to be honest, though, did this really need to go beyond two or three minutes? There's no reason for every match in the show to go 20 minutes. There's just not. But this was a good match, though. Um, SCU and the Lucha Brothers brawled on the stage um, after hyping up the upcoming AEW World Tag Team Title Tournament, so I'm looking forward to that. They're not even facing off in the first round, but maybe they will at some point. I doubt it. In the finals, I guess, potentially, I doubt it. Um, But I guess they just wanted to get them on the show, which is fine. Uh, Pac and Adam Page faced off in the match we were supposed to see at Double or Nothing months ago. We finally got it here. Well worth the wait. Great match. Uh, Very good performances from both men. Hell of an effort. In the end, Pac did go over. Uh, not clean. He did low blow Adam Page before winning. So uh, Pac is on a roll right now. I assume he will earn himself a shot at the AEW World Championship before long. Maybe as early as that upcoming episode of AEW on TNT in um, a couple weeks. I think they've advertised an AEW World title match 
um, between Jericho and a mystery opponent for a couple weeks from now. And honestly, Pac would make sense. He's now beaten Omega and Adam Page, who just went for the AEW World Championship at All Out. So um, I would assume that spot goes to Pac. I mean, you have two heels in Pac and Chris Jericho, but it would be a hell of a match. Um, so I think that might be where they're going with this. Rio knocked off Nyla Rose to become the first ever AEW Women's Champion. Um, a good match, I thought. I'm not a big Nyla Rose fan. I just don't think she's all that great in the ring. Um, but Rio got the best match that she could out of her. And Nyla Rose wasn't terrible, but she did not have the greatest performance on the show at all. Few sloppy spots aside, this was a good match. They captured the crowd by the end. Uh, some very good near falls down the stretch. And Rio knocking off Nyla Rose to become the all-new, first-ever inaugural AEW Women's Champion, as she should have. There was no reason to have Rose become the first-ever champion. Aside from, and I know Brandy Rhodes is their uh, chief operating officer, I, I figured that they would put the belt on Nyla just to say, oh, or, you know, the first-ever transgender champion, like, this is amazing. You know, the transgender stuff I really don't care about. I don't think anyone cares about, nor should they. Who gives a shit? You know, male, female, doesn't matter what you are, who cares? Um, but that's a WWE move, to make history for the sake of making history, not because it's organic. Um, she's not the greatest wrestler in that division, so putting the belt on her would have been a mistake. Rio winning, though, I thought was the right call. Hopefully they can build a Rio and Britt Baker at some point for that AEW Women's Championship, so this was a good match. And then we get to the main event, AEW World Champion Chris Jericho teaming up with Santana and Ortiz. Um, it was supposed to be two mystery opponents, but they are uh, partners, but they revealed it on the AEW Countdown special on Tuesday night that it would be a Santana and Ortiz, which is fine. I mean, I think a lot of people expected it anyway, so I'm not mad at the fact that they gave it away on the show, which actually ended up doing 631,000 viewers on Tuesday night. For a special that really wasn't all that well advertised, that's an amazing rating. That is phenomenal. I thought that Dynamite would bring in that amount of people, and maybe they will. But I think it's a lot more likely with the advertising they've had with this show that Dynamite brings in close to a million viewers, if not beats that. I think it's very likely, and again, this might be up after the ratings are already released, but I think there's a very good chance Dynamite could crack a million viewers. There's a very good chance of that happening. Um, But anyway, so Jericho, Santana, and Ortiz, the former LAX of Impact fame who were amazing over there, uh, knocking off the elites, Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks, very good main event. Jericho pinning, uh, I think, Matt Jackson with the Judas Priest, uh, not Judas Priest, the uh, Judas Effect to win for his team. Afterward, out came Cody to make the save. Dustin Rhodes, who we have not seen in an AEW ring since Fight for the Fallen. Uh, Sammy Guevara came out, and the debuting Jake Hager, the former Jack Swagger of WWE fame as well. Former WWE World Heavyweight Champion. Um, I got a feeling he would be on the show. I had seen some reports I mean, I didn't go out of my way to spoil myself, but I had seen YouTube videos saying, oh, former WWE star, you know, rumored to debut on Dynamite, and it showed the fucking silhouette of Jack Swagger. I'm like, well, no shit, it's Jack Swagger. Um, And I figured he would be AEW bound at some point anyway. I mean, he's talked about in interviews over the last year or so, and not year, I mean, AEW wasn't a thing a year ago, but, you know, even earlier this year with Chris Van Vliet, he said in his interview with him that, you know, I have talked to Cody about me, them bringing me in at some point, and... Tony Khan's Tony Khan saying after the show last night that Swagger has been um, signed to AEW since before All Out does not surprise me at all. I assume the deal has been in place to bring him in for months. Um, his date, you know, as early back as Double or Nothing weekend, but it never really worked out because he has the MMA thing going on right now. He's a Bellator superstar, whatever. Um, he's been doing indie dates and he's improved a lot since he left WWE years ago. So anyone saying, oh, it's Jack Swagger, what a poor message what a poor message to send. This is no, you know, fucking Lex Luger on Nitro in 1995, and I agree with that. Um, but at the same time, though, I do think it's a good move. Um, he's improved a lot since we last saw him. He is a legit athlete now. I mean, he already he already was a legit athlete. And th- these guys are all athletes, but I'm talking about like amateur wrestling background. He's doing the MMA thing right now. Um, he's in great shape. He looks good. Um, I've seen him on the indie scene at NEW shows, and um, he's always come across very well to me. So I'm looking forward to seeing what he can bring to the table in AEW. I know he still has just some people who have not seen his work outside of WWE, that WWE stench, as the former Jack Swagger, having been there for 10 years, kind of being booked as a perennial loser, despite being a former World Heavyweight Champion. 
you know, he was kind of a loser for the better part of his time there. Unfortunately, because the guy's good, but he's also a charisma vacuum. So hopefully they either give him a manager or a mouthpiece or whatever. Um, but the guy is good, though, and I'm glad he's in AEW. So moving on over to NXT on Wednesday. So I watched Dynamite first. Overall, I thought it was a very good effort, very good first effort from AEW, and I'm sure the shows will only continue to improve going forward. Um, for anyone saying, oh, well, you know, it wasn't that good and all this other stuff, it's an all-new show. As long as the show didn't suck, I think it was a good show. Um, they can only build off this in the future, so I thought it was a very enjoyable first episode. That being said, NXT had one of their best episodes of all time on Wednesday. Three championship matches, two returns, one awesome fucking show. They kicked off the night in the biggest way possible with the NXT championship match, which I figured would be reserved for the main event slot. Uh, they had it kick off the show between Adam Cole, Matt Riddle. Phenomenal match. This was really, really, really good shit. Um, belonged at a takeover. Hopefully they go back to it at some point, assuming Matt Riddle's not called up in the draft next week. Uh, but this was great. Adam Cole brought his A game. Matt Riddle was great as always. They had tremendous chemistry. The crowd ate this shit up. Some great near falls. Awesome storytelling with Matt Riddle going after the injured wrist of Adam Cole. That is legit hurt, I guess. And they just kind of give it a storyline reason for being hurt last week on the show. Um, but this was great. This was fucking great. So Matt Riddle loses. Adam Cole goes over um, after pinning uh, Matt Riddle with two... Not, well, he beat him with the last shot, but he, he beat him after already hitting two Panama City Sunrises, the uh, Canadian Destroyer off the top rope, which is such a great fucking move. I love, the, I love the Canadian Destroyer. So he hits two of those, the last shot again. He wins. Adam Cole, still your NXT champion. But before the celebration can sink in, out comes former NXT champion Finn Balor. A hell of a return for Finn Balor to NXT at Full Sail. This was fucking awesome. The crowd went nuts. I was not expecting this. Um, this wasn't rumored. I figured Ciampa would be back at some point. He actually came back a little later on in the show. So we got two returns in the same night with one not overshadowing the other because they were equally awesome. But yeah, Finn Balor back in NXT for the first time in over three years. The last time we saw Finn Balor in NXT, I believe, was when he lost to Shinsuke Nakamura on that episode of NXT right before the draft three years ago. And now right before the draft in 2019, he's back in NXT. I think that is tremendous. And he said to Adam Cole, hey, as of right now, Finn Balor is NXT. And the crowd went nuts. Very cool moment. Finn Balor was not one of those people I thought that could go back to NXT, but I'm glad he did. Is he way bigger than NXT now? Absolutely. But honestly, it's one of those things now where I'd rather have him back in NXT and give that brand some additional star power then keep him where he is on SmackDown if he's not going to do anything. We haven't seen him since SummerSlam when he lost to The Fiend, um, you know, in The Fiend's debut, and, and, and Balor lost, and people he would come back as the demon and face The Fiend, which maybe at some point we will see. But for now, though, I think NXT is a great landing spot for him. Um, you know, former two-time IC champion, those reigns went nowhere. First ever universal champion. That reign also went nowhere because he got hurt. Um, but even when he came back, they never really capitalized off the momentum that Finn Balor had. The guy's very popular. Shocked he's still as popular as he is on the main roster, despite the fact he's been booked not all that well over the past two or three years. But, you know, he was still very much popular up until he left a few months ago to take time off to get married. And now he's back in NXT. So I'm a big fan of the move. I think this is awesome. Adam Cole and Finn Balor is a match I didn't know I wanted until now. And I'm very excited for the future of that feud. But that's not all, because we had more returns and another another appearance, as I said, from Tommaso Ciampa a little later on in the show. Uh, Velveteen Dream came out to address Roderick Strong. Amazing match. Um, it should be, you know, a very good rematch on the upcoming episode of NXT whenever that does happen. Um, so maybe they save it for TakeOver, but I assume they'll probably do it before then. Io Shirai beating Mia Yim. Um, very good match. Thought this was a great showing from both women. Shirai going over. Gargano knocking off Shane Thorne, another very good match, and a great performance from Shane Thorne, um, who hasn't really had many, if any, memorable matches in NXT, even when TM61 was around, um, but he's been quietly building momentum recently, glad he got the opportunity to uh, face and, you know, not beat Gargano, but look good in the feet, I thought it was a very good match. Shayna Baszler successfully retaining the NXT Women's Championship against Candice LeRae, I thought there was a very good chance of the championship changing hands here, unfortunately, didn't happen, um, but I thought it was a very good match nonetheless. 
Baszler just barely forcing Candice to pass out, and she's still your women's champion. At this point, Dakota Kai would make sense as much as anyone to take that championship from Baszler given their history, and I hope it happens. And uh, we also found out Tegan Knox is on her way to NXT, which is really cool. She's already doing appearances right now in NXT UK. So the fact that she's doing double duty in NXT and NXT UK is really, really cool. She's a star as well. Pete Dunn versus Danny Burch. Very hard-hitting match. Enjoyed this for what it was. Dunn going over afterward being attacked by Damian Priest. So uh, that's the next feud going forward. I like that a lot. Got to give Priest some direction. Got to give Dunn some direction. Very good match. And then the main event, the Undisputed Eras. Um, Kyle O'Reilly and Bobby Fish knocking off the Street Profits to retain the NXT Tag Team titles. Great match. Everybody as good as their takeover match um, a few months ago. Um, this was good stuff. And I believe the Street Profits, they came into the ring accompanied by Wale. Um, a lot of wrestling fans, I'm sure, know. He is a wrestling fan. Host Wale Mania every single year over WrestleMania weekend. Um, he, you know, sang them to the ring. This really felt like a farewell for the Street Profits from NXT, which is why I figured they would close the show off with this by ending the episode with the Street Profits, you know, saying goodbye to NXT. I figured that's where they were going with this. Um, but it wasn't. So Kyle O'Reilly and Bobby Fish win after a great match. The entire Undisputed Era come out to congratulate, you know, uh, Fish and O'Reilly on their win. And then Adam Cole, while standing on the stage, gets interrupted by a flatline that could only be associated with, well, Taz, but one other person, Tommaso Ciampa, who is back there after a six-month absence, returning to NXT to set his sights on the NXT Championship. Amazing moment. Great to see Ciampa back. A great way to close out an amazing episode of NXT. I thought this was a great show. So in a nutshell, who won the Wednesday Night War last night? Well, rating-wise, I honestly think it might have been AEW. Again, I'm probably a little late to the party on that because by the time this goes up and by the time you listen to this, we probably would have already known what the ratings are for the show. Um, But other than that, though, from a quality standpoint, as good as Dynamite was, I think NXT was the better show. But it's not a matter of comparing. Both shows were great. It was an amazing night for wrestling fans. Whether you watched one or the other first and then or watched both at the same time, it really doesn't matter. Um, both shows were fantastic. Fucking loved it. So uh, it's a great time right now, as I say every single week, to be a professional wrestling fan. Looking forward to night two of the Wednesday Night War next week. Because next week in NXT, we're getting Kushida versus Walter, which should be a fucking banger. And then Drew Gulak versus Leo Rush for what they're now calling the NXT Cruiserweight Championship. So if that's not a sign that they're moving 205 Live into NXT and they're merging the two brands, I don't know what it is. Um, I ranted a lot of, uh, I ranted quite a bit about 205 Live last week, saying, oh, they have yet to give a time and day for the new show, like it's supposed to be on Tuesdays, What's, what the fuck is going on? They moved it to Fridays um, after SmackDown, I assume temporarily, before they merge into NXT very soon. Based off the new name change for the championship, it definitely looks like that's something that's happening sooner, very much rather than later, so... Keep an eye out for that, but great time to be a wrestling fan right now. Super psyched for the future, and uh, next week I will not be watching NXT at all until Thursday, so next week WrestleRant Radio will be up late as Alexis RJ and I are going to AEW Dynamite in Boston next Wednesday night. I could not be any more stoked. We were at Double or Nothing, RJ and I were back in May, so we were at the first ever AEW show. Now we're going to be the second ever episode of AEW Dynamite. So I'm super stoked for that. Uh, stay tuned for that. Next Thursday, my on-site report from Dynamite and my thoughts, if I can watch in time by then, for NXT. And as I've said before, I'm toying around with the idea of doing three shows a week at some point, a tri-weekly podcast, one on Tuesdays reviewing Raw and the occasional pay-per-views, one on Thursdays reviewing NXT and AEW, and then one on Saturdays reviewing SmackDown. That won't go into effect, I assume, anytime soon, um, but down the road, pr- quite possibly, so stay tuned for that. And WrestleRant Radio, celebrating six years this coming Tuesday. On the exact day, too, I started the show on a Tuesday. This Tuesday, October 8th, we're celebrating six years of WrestleRant Radio. So next week's show will be very special for that reason alone. Thank you guys, as always, for your support of the show. Um, continue to support by subscribing and all the podcasts platforms, including iTunes, um, you know, including but not limited to iTunes, Podbean, Google Play, iHeartRadio, TuneIn Radio, NextDayWrestling.net. 
Stitcher, Spotify. We're all over the place, baby. So subscribe today for all new episodes of WrestleRant Radio every single Thursday. And dating back to, you know, in the archives, you can check out every episode dating back to the show's debut exactly six years ago from Tuesday in October of 2013. Um, on that note, guys, you can find me on the socials and on Twitter at WrestleRant, on Facebook at Facebook.com, backslash Graham.GSM.Matthews, and on YouTube as well, YouTube.com, backslash C, backslash GrahamGSMMatthews. So, at any rate, guys, have a great rest of your week. I'm super stoked for SmackDown on Fox, the premiere tomorrow night, and then Hell in the Cell on Sunday. Plenty of thoughts on both those shows coming up next week here on WrestleRant Radio. Until then, guys, have a great one. Enjoy wrestling, and I'll catch your ass down the road. Bone, do a suffocate, do a sin, then bone.